You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Yeah. You are with Reality Check Radio. This is Counterculture here with Marie, and it's with great pleasure I welcome back the sparky auntie hey hey herself, Karina Shields. How are you, my friend? I'm good. How are you doing, Marie? I'm doing very, very well. And you've been uh, you've been sparking up a little bit of controversy since we spoke last. Just a little. So walk us through. Yeah, so walk us through what you've been up to. So there was the whole spark episode where they unnecessarily got involved with Chanel's thread, and so there was a little bit of a backlash that didn't make it to mainstream media. Um, The Herald did report on it that there was online stuff, and so I sent them a letter to the reporter that had done the story and I challenged her to write the uh, publish the letter that I wrote in response to everything that had happened. Crickets. Mm. So just to back people up with what went on, Chanel Lal, who is a trans radical activist, put out a thread on the new Facebook Threads app encouraging Spark not to continue their identitarian well, really threatening them, wasn't it? It was kind of like, if you don't do this. Yeah, well, it was more like, let's keep turfs off threats. Mm. And Spark jumped in and said that they agreed. Now, there was no call for Spark to get involved. They just chose to, someone in their social media team, chose to add their two cents where it wasn't asked for. Mm. And so it was a, it was a slap in the face to a lot of women. Mm. And Spark's statement that they issued a couple of days later was a lot of gaslighting and not wanting to listen to the other side about what the real issue was. And so they have just shut down. Yeah, yeah. So, and of course, the mainstream media and the legacy media, they just weren't interested, really. No. But on social media, yeah, things definitely did spark up. Yeah, they most definitely did. And Spark just went to ground and I backed off for a couple of weeks because I was doing writing for Plain Sight and I had to back off and just, okay, what do I do next? And I decided to use Chanel and use Spark to try and get conversations going. And so something that I have been saying on social media a lot is that People don't know how to start conversations with others. And so I come up with a T-shirt idea. A spark can start a flame. And it is a play on what happened with Chanel and Spark. But it is a visual that people can use to start a conversation with somebody else around whatever it is that's going on in the world. Whether it is COVID, whether it is the trans identity issues, it is a political visual statement to try and get people talking because parents need to be aware of what is happening in the education system. That sounds like a brilliant idea. But, of course, the difficulty is is that there is a certain element and party that don't want these conversations to be had. They'd much rather tell people things than converse with them are you getting that sense when you're trying to actually engage in dialogue yeah 
Absolutely. There are no parties really amongst the ones that are in there at the moment that want to have a conversation around any of this. And so for me, it is about trying to reach the voters because they're the ones that matter. In October, we have an election. People have a chance to put their vote with someone that aligns with them. And if I can get these conversations started and going around what the left are ignoring, and what Chris Lutzen is ignoring as well, you know, he, this whole gender bathrooms thing, he doesn't want anything to do with it either. And so if these people aren't going to listen, it's about going back to the voters and getting them to have the conversations because they're the ones that matter at the end of the day. Well, it is. And last time we spoke, you were doing a lot of work in the Māori space, encouraging Māori off the Māori role now that they had the ability, they've got, you know, got the ability to to move around more freely. And what intrigued me was that I did a quick look at what the numbers that did move around. And of course, there were news stories claiming this this wonderful um, oh net gains on the Māori role. This is really incredible. But when you actually dived into the numbers, the numbers are minuscule. So the largest movement was in Tamaki Makaro, which is kind of, you know, I mean, Auckland, it makes sense. But each seat is around anywhere between sort of 30 to 38,000, I think, is the size of the ele- each electorate. So there was only in Tamaki Makaro, only a net gain of 484, and that was the largest. The smallest was Tetai Hauru, that was 210 net gain. But most of these net gains, when you dig a little deeper, were in younger people, so they've come in from that sort of under 40, whereas yeah. more senior voters, they were the ones that jumped ship. They wanted some choice. Yeah, and that's what I am finding too, is it is a lot the older ones, especially with my audience on TikTok. TikTok is a lot of a lot more mouldy than any other platform. And so I'm finding that there are a lot more mouldy that are like, no, I am off. I am out of the Māori role because there isn't enough choice for me. I want more than just left-leaning parties. And we can't we can't get that on, on the Māori role. And so there are some younger ones I'm finding too, though, who are starting to ask more questions. How do you feel about this? How do you feel about, you know, all sorts of things? And so we do have a lot of political conversations on TikTok, which I think is really, really good for Māori because we need to open our eyes to the things that have gone on in government and realise that just because somebody is Māori doesn't mean they have our best interests at heart or that they are the best person for the job. Mm. And of course, for a lot of these younger ones, they don't have uh, the opportunity to spend time on marae that we, but that was that forum where those questions were asked and those conversations were had. So in a way, TikTok's kind of like a digital marae, isn't it? It is. It is. There are a lot of conversations that happen on TikTok. Um, there, are, there is lots of learning to be done on TikTok as well. Yes, there is that toxic element and you're always going to have the radicals that will come at you for expressing a different opinion. But you can actually learn a lot about politics and multi-culture from following the right people. Mm. 
When it comes to those conversations, what are some of the questions that the, particularly the younger voters, younger Māori voters, what are some of the questions they're asking? What is sparking their interest? Auntie, why don't you like to party Māori? Wow. What have they done? Or why don't you like certain parties? How do you feel about certain policies? How do you feel about co-governance? So, yeah, they do ask some really good questions, some of them. And a lot of people have come back and said, both young and old, I didn't realise this was happening. Thank you for letting me know. I will be more careful with sending my moko into public toilets. I am going to be more careful watching over my child's education and the curriculum and what's being taught. I am more aware of the Natural Therapeutics Bill, for example. So, yeah, yeah. and so that has been a big thing for me too with Te Pāti Māori is how can you support a party that was promoting jabs, but this year seems to be all about rongoa Māori. Where was their promotion of rongoa Māori two years ago? Mm. Well, exactly. I heard Rawiri say recently they were talking about sort of this left-right thing. I think it was uh, after Winston first had his first solid poll result saying he could be back. Yeah. And... Rawiri sort of brushed off the question, said, we're not left, we're not right, we're straight up the guts. Delusional or gaslighting? Both. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely both. They are so far out of touch with what is actually happening that it's unbelievable. With Waipareta being investigated numerous times for their breaches with Te Pāti Māori, it is complete delusion and absolute gaslighting on their part. They they don't see that what they are doing is wrong. They don't see that the money that they are using to bribe people is wrong. And they're trying to convince everybody else that they are the problem. Mm, yeah. And then you've got Willie Jackson turning around and having a very select meetings with media to instruct them on how, um, what and how to report on the treaty. Mm, yeah. sort of, it's sort of, well, my mind you, it worked so well with COVID. Why, yeah. couldn't, why couldn't we do that with the treaty, I guess? Yeah, exactly. I did a Privacy Act request with Waipareta after finding out about John Tamahiri going to court for the details of unvaccinated Māori. And they said, do you want to come and pick it up or do you want us to send it? I said, no, I'm coming to pick it up. There's Yoni down the road from me. So I went in to pick it up. They had somebody waiting at the bottom for me who escorted me upstairs to pick up my Privacy Act request and escorted me back out because they didn't want me talking to anybody. I was just like, wow. And I got talking a couple of weeks after I picked it up to an ex-employee of Waipareda's and I said, no, this is what happened. They're like, they did that because they didn't want you saying anything. They did not want you talking at all to anybody. Yeah. What are they so afraid of? If they've got yeah. nothing to hide, what are they so exactly. afraid of? Exactly. So in terms of the Māori electorates, I mean, Rawari, I think he, he believes he's fairly comfortable keeping his seat. 
But the rest of them, I think, are still very, very much up for grabs. Now, you said to me before we got started, you were in uh, Titai Tokorau. That's where you were yep. enrolled. I was point. enrolled on the Māori roll, and that was my next trip, was Titai Tokorau. Mm. And I came off because there were only four options. Labour, Party Māori, Greens, and legalised cannabis. That wasn't enough choice for me. So I came off. And I since then put out a TikTok and a, well, an X now, now that it's not Twitter. Um, I put out posts and told people, in Northland, if you are still on Te Tai roll, vote for legalised cannabis. What have you got to lose by trying something different? Because, yeah, I mean, like, ultimately, if you've got four, four candidates on the bill, which are left, left, really left, and stoned. Yeah. And to be fair, and let's face it, I mean, maybe legalise marijuana. I mean, really, they're the true Green Party up there, aren't they? Yeah. Just yeah. saying. I mean, the Greens have gone very red these days. Absolutely. They're watermelon these days. Watermelon. Oh, I like it. I like it. Green on the yep. outside and red on the inside. Yes, yeah. very much so. There's a, that's another T-shirt for you. Yeah. You know. Yeah. There are a few lined up. So the, the T-shirts do play into my sarcastic side. We'll, we'll keep an eye out for those and I will you know, keep everybody updated with those. But we are set to go to release next week. Oh, fantastic. Ones. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. And so talking to those conversations and having those conversations up there, I think it is actually important because you're not talking about a huge electorate. I mean, you're talking about 30, 35,000 people. And of that, only about 60% of them turn out to the polls anyway. And it will be interesting because I know they talk about they've had this younger shift, but how many of them will actually turn up to vote? Exactly. It's one thing to get them on the roll, but are they actually going to turn up on election day when it matters? Mm. Or are they going to do what they've been doing with trying to get people on the Māori roll and go and try and bribe them to vote early? Right, yeah. Reality Check Radio did a poll in Northland to see what was going on because, of course, in the general role, things are actually quite sort of exciting up there. You've got, I mean, Willow Jean Prime, who I understand is missing in action a good chunk of the time. Uh, you've got Grant McCallum, who's the national MP. You've got um, Shane Jones, Uncle Shane's there. You've got a Green uh, candidate. You've got, an, um, I think, Mark Cameron's the ACT candidate. And then, of course, you've got Matt King standing for Democracy New Zealand. And, and he's put a lot of eggs into that electoral basket. So we thought we would do a snapshot to sort of see the mood of the electorate. And this was about four weeks ago. The number that actually stood out for me wasn't the predictability of the national candidate or the party vote national being the predominant vote. That sort of ran with the general consensus of the current polls. What was interesting for me were the undecideds. And from a candidate point of view, that number at that time was 30%. So nearly a third of people still hadn't made up their minds. Yeah. Yeah. And I've said that for a long time, that... Northland is going to be one of the most important seats in this election because Northland has been let down consistently by National and Labour that if Northland really wanted change this year, this was the time to do it. 
they actually have a lot more power in Northland than they realise. It's just trying to get them to look into the policies of these parties so they actually do go and vote. Otherwise, they're going to be up a creek again mm. Right? Mm. with National and Labour. We've seen it time and time again. Mangamoka Gorge, still closed, delayed apparently, not going to be open for another year because of just the mm. lack of work that's been done and all the more slips have happened. The roading up there is shocking. I've been up north four times since April. Just the roads, the potholes. And so for me, this election in Northland is absolutely one of the most important elections and one of the most important seats. Mm. And in terms of electorates too, Northland, Titai Tokorau and Ikarawarafiti, I think have very a lot of similarities. Large geographical size, yet yeah, roading there yeah. isn't flash either. Um, yeah. uh, from what because that's obviously where my family's from, and they too have been let down. You've got Mecca who jumped the walker, yeah, to Tapati Māori. Then you have in the general role in East Coast. You've got well, Kitty's spectacular meltdown. And now Tamati's taken her spot. And now Tamati has taken his her spot. And I think he's potentially trying to rely on his family connections up there to help and name recognition to help sec- secure the spot. But in terms of family connections, he's not standing on the Māori role. He's standing in the general role. And I know the mood of the people that I know that are in that electorate is they're not happy. They've had enough. Yeah. 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 And it's just trying to convince all those undecideds to make a decision and and go with it to try and make change. If they're Mm going to do it, this is the time. So I'm hoping that the spark T-shirts actually get out there and start these conversations because we've got less than two months until the election. It's not a lot of time to work with. What are some of the misconceptions, too, that when these questions get asked, that these young voters and young young Māori have? So they, they will have a belief that something is one way when actually the truth is completely different. So you mentioned before around uh, the, the, some of the gender issues, but what are some of the, the common ones that you're coming across? I had a 15-year-old say, why is a trans woman not a woman? <laughs> and I... I said to her, look, you're 15, your prefrontal cortex hasn't developed yet, and that's the part that helps you make good decisions. I said, but a woman is not a woman if if they have a penis. And this man has a penis and will always be a biological male. And so we've had to go down that scientific route of this is what it is. Nobody is transphobic. What we are saying is it is about protecting our kids from things like puberty blockers. So when you get a bit more life experience, when you are a parent, come back, let's see if you have a different perspective. But at 15 years of age, for now, let the adults have these conversations to protect you guys. No, it is about making sure that all of our kids know that the support is there and we don't People don't hate trans kids or they're not against them. We understand what the issues are 
but we also understand that there are too many adults who are trying to give the medications that they shouldn't be giving them right now. Mm -hmm. And it's how do you allow people to express their individuality and uh, their curiosity without putting them through irreversible damage, particularly once you start medical transition? I mean, you know, we're we're of an age. I remember when I was a teenager, the whole everyone wanted to be like Robert Smith and the Cure and goths and punks with things. Look, the most dangerous thing that happened is you probably got one or two piercings, and uh, you know the super glue could stuff the hair up. That's not going to affect your fertility. That's not going to affect your growth. It's not going to affect your bone density. Exactly, and so it's just putting out these very real issues and the potential risks of these things and just being really open with them. I have a very open relationship with my 13-year-old. There isn't anything that I hide from him. And so for me, we are straight up the guts and I will lay out the truth for you, good, bad and ugly, because I want you to have the very best information so that you can make the best decisions out there, especially when you are not by my side. You've got a 13-year-old, I've got a 15 and 17-year-old. So what's he saying to you? Like when he comes back from school, is are you is he having that, oh, mum, this happened at school today? Or this is, I mean, what sort of stuff is he talking about? What's, what is we he do. seeing through his eyes? He sees, so they do have a rainbow youth group at school. They do have rainbow flags in the library, apparently. He doesn't get involved in any of it. He just rolls his eyes and walks away. Um, The good thing about his school is that they actually gave us an option to sign out of the REC classes that they do have that are specific. And they sent him off to the library. He did accidentally end up in one of the classes because he had a reliever and the reliever didn't know. But he just got up and walked out of class and went to the library anyway. Because he knows that it's not stuff that he needs to be learning at school from a teacher. That it is things that we should be talking about at home, especially when the information I got said that um, a person with penis or a person with uterus. I was like, no, these are boys and girls, males and females. We are not reducing my child to a person with a penis. Yeah. He's a young man. Yeah, and that's what I said. I'm raising a boy to be a man. He is going to be a man whether people like it or not. Mm. I'm not raising a person with a penis. My um, 15-year-old, he's just started um, in the last couple of terms. It was this year we had we moved schools with him uh, just because of the cyclone. Geographically, we couldn't get him to a, in a school. So we moved him to the Catholics with his brother. And they had the RSC. And I said to, said to him, do you want, me to sign you out of those classes and he said and he said it's hilarious he said I don't know what's funnier he said all the boys making fun and most of the boys I mean over half the kids in his class are Māori or Polynesian he said all you can hear is just giggling and laughing all the way through like they thought it was just ridiculous but he said it was how uncomfortable the teacher was because they chose not to bring in outside agencies to do it the teachers did it themselves and he said all the boys want to do it because the teacher that does that does the pastoral care is so uncomfortable. <laughs> but he said it's like an hour of stand-up comedy. He said it's really funny. 
and none of them oh. take it seriously. Yeah, my boy does not take any of that stuff seriously. So I imagine if he, you know, by the time he gets to 15 and says, yeah, I want to do it and see what it's like, he'll come back much the same because mm-hmm. he just laughs at it now. It's just like, that's just crazy. Yeah, and I and I worry for the girls too. You know, like I think with our boys, a lot of our aged boys are actually seeing past that now. Like that's the generation ahead of them, and they yeah. and they they just they've got that perspective. They're just far enough aback that yeah. they're looking at it, going, "That's ridiculous." Whereas the young women are yeah. a different story. I think there is a social contagion element there. Young women are looking for verification justification they're looking for support they're looking to be lifted up by their peers yeah Yeah. I do worry actually for young women with this are you seeing that I am you know that our girls are so much they're softer they need more care our boys are rough and tumble and they just brush things off so water off a duck's back for a lot of things but for our girls, they internalize this stuff. They take it on board. We take things really, really to heart. Even if it's not aimed at us, we do. And so if as women we are worried, we most definitely should be worried about our girls. They yeah, don't have the coping skills right now. No, no. And peer pressure amongst young women is always tough. Absolutely. And and I think it's even, I think it's the toughest it's, it's ever been. Like I've talked to friends with daughters and and they do, they, they worry, you know, how do you prepare them for what is out there? And particularly if they go into further education, the level of indoctrination through yeah. university now is just off the charts. And it's un, it seems to be going on unchecked. Yeah, yeah. And that's what it is for me. It's about trying to, connect with parents and say, look, this is what's going on. You need to keep an eye on what's happening in your child's school. They should be talking to their communities about what they are teaching. And if they're not, something is amiss. So I just got a message the other night from a woman whose child was meant to start school next year. She isn't with the father anymore, but she's been sending him my content and they are looking at homeschooling their child next year because they don't want their child to be dealing with that kind of stuff as soon as they start school. The guidelines that the ministry have put out are for years one to eight, and some of that stuff in there is just highly inappropriate. When you're talking to other Māori parents, are they concerned about the or and the decreasing rates of literacy amongst Māori students? Is that, is that something that they're aware of? Or have they been gaslit by those in education that everything is okay and actually getting in touch with your te ao Māori is more important than being able to read and write when you leave school? It's not a topic that we have talked a great deal about yet, but it is one that I just mentioned in the last couple of days. Yeah, there's definite, definite, potential for a lot more conversations because I'm like our truancy rates are really really high but our numeracy and literacy rates are falling and if they're falling we need to be asking why they're falling why is gender ideology more important than teaching our kids how to read and write and do numbers Mm. and so those are conversations that we 
just starting to get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely important conversations to get into. On a slightly different topic, talking to Di the other day, Di Landy, and of course Posey's looking at coming back, Kelly J. Keen's looking at coming back uh, for the court case in September uh, with Eli Rubber Chicken. As dialogue, yeah. because you are in Auckland, are you going to pop along to the courthouse and uh, see Absolutely. see what's going on? I am. I like to do things for myself. I like to see things with my own eyes. I have absolutely no faith in mainstream media, legacy media, and so I will be there with bells on and with my little air horn. We took the boys out on the weekend, and so. We won prizes and I got an air horn. <laughs> but I will be there to welcome her back. The reality is, is if Chanel and the rest of the trans activists didn't turn up and march at Albert Park, she wouldn't be coming back. Yeah. So the fact that she was shut down from being able to say a few words and let other women say a few words, this is all on Chanel and the trans activists. They have only got themselves to blame for her return. They've been in the shadows. I mean, unless you've been engaged with this identitarian movement and even identitarian politics, unless you're actively engaged in it, most, you know, Joe Normie Kiwi is complete was completely unaware of all of this stuff going on yeah. until March. And I yeah. had people contact me saying, What on earth is all this about? This is insane. Yeah. Like, welcome to my world. This is what I've been living in for the last five years. You know, really, if they'd just been adult about it yeah. and let her speak, let them have the rally, not get involved, you know, scroll on. Yeah. None, none of, of this, this would have happened. Yeah. We wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation right now. But people don't know how to mind their business, no. She wasn't hurting anyone. It was a pure conversation. I didn't know much about her before she came. I still don't know much about her. I just know she came to talk and she wanted to say some things. I got stopped from doing that, and so did everybody else that was there, including trans women. Trans women that I met were there to listen to her. They were stopped too, all because some people's egos got the better of them. Yeah, this, I mean, look... Neil Oliver always says that this isn't about what they say it's about. I really do feel that a lot of the eminence in the trans radical activists, it's not about trans. Yeah, it's not. It's really not. There has been an acceptance of trans people for years, especially in New Zealand. If we didn't accept trans people in New Zealand, how did Georgina Beyer become the first politician? Yeah, exactly. Trans acceptance has been happening in New Zealand for a long time. It has only been because of a bunch of young radicals in the last couple of years that we are seeing the division that we have today. I've certainly seen a, a, a divorce between the LGBs and yeah. the TQIs, for yeah. sure. Mm. Absolutely. You know, the LGBs are cutting off the QTIs. Mm. They don't want to do it anymore because they have gone a step too far. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Oh, well, yeah. as always, now, again, for those who haven't 
caught up with some Auntie Hey Hey magic, and I'm I'm just getting a visual now of Auntie Hey Hey with a horn. Ha ha ha! It would be so funny. Um, where will they? As you said, you're on TikTok, and I think that's just under you, the name changes. So, what's the TikTok name? Auntie Hey Hey. So yeah. I had my Auntie Hey Hey 3.0 account was taken for talking about party Maori and John Tamahiri, and for talking about trans issues. Those are my two big topics, and so I got stung by trolls and they mass reported me yeah my account got taken so I have gone back to just auntie hey hey very good and yeah. uh you're on the x as well I am oh. on the x auntie hey hey on the x as well great uh safe to say that we won't be getting a Christmas hamper or Christmas card from John then this year oh probably not I might get a few things, but it won't be a ham or a card. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's always great to talk to you. And actually, in the coming weeks as well, uh, I think I, Little Birdie told me that you might be popping into the political panel from time to time on a Friday. I did, yes, had a conversation the other night with a yeah. little somebody. So we're quite looking for, because um, I've got a funny, actually, I've got a funny feeling you and I might be on the same panel, so I'm really excited about that. I didn't hear about that too, yes. yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that, that will be, uh, could you imagine between you and um, Marty, I think will be between you, Marty, and myself, uh, with poor old Paul, I know that once we head down uh, the pathways that all of us have shared interest in, it's going to be, oh, fire, I can feel I can feel firecrackers <laughs> now. It'll be exciting. Yeah. It'll be great. Hey, look, Karina, as always, this is Karina Shields. Auntie, hey, hey, thank you so much for giving up your time this morning. Don't disappear um, because, as I said, the, the wonderful Marty will be here very, very soon with Media Matters on Counterculture here on Reality Check Radio. You're listening to Counterculture on RCR. Reality Check Radio.